This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Charlie Harari Show. Great to be with you again. Another week has passed by. So much going on in the world. This week, I had the opportunity to fill in for Buck Sexton on his show on Friday. Spoke about a bunch of things that I thought you may like to hear about. Bernie Sanders and the upcoming final countdown, the Democratic primary in California this week against Hillary Clinton. Why Hillary keeps on losing and why Bernie keeps on winning. The reasons may be something that you may know, but I think there's parts of it that you may not know what that means for our life, spoke about Donald Trump's experience in the political arena as a reality TV show and how that's the reason why he is so successful. We spoke a little bit about the gorilla incident and the value of human life and even a little bit about Steph Curry and LeBron James. A lot went on in that show. Thought you may enjoy it. So figured that for this week's podcast, I would just play that show for you. So here it is, and I hope you enjoy it. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is The Buck Sexton Show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Buck Sexton Show. Charlie Harari in today, filling in for Buck. Love being on this show. I love it. I've had the opportunity over the past few months to do it a whole bunch of times. And I got to tell you, it really is a highlight for me because of Team Buck. Buck has one of the greatest audiences in the world and it's great to be with you today great to spend a little bit of time this friday afternoon catching up on the week trying to do what we always do when i'm around which is trying to learn what lessons we can take out from the headlines that's for me what it's all about it's about looking around the world seeing what's out there and asking ourselves why is this happening for and what can i do to learn something that i can put into my life today so that i can have a better life because of what lessons are going out in the world, and I hope by the time we're done at three o'clock today, you'll have something to take with you over the weekend, at least to talk about. Because there's so much going on, we're going to be speaking about the NBA Finals. We're going to be talking about the gorilla and the three-year-old boy and that battle. We're going to be talking about Donald Trump and his reality TV past and why that is better experience, unfortunately, than politicians. And talking a little bit about Trump University, but I want to begin right away with the final countdown. And of course, before I start. You can tweet at me the whole show. I am at Charlie Harari, C-H-A-R-L-I-E-H-A-R-A-R-Y. Just tweet me during the show, and we'll be able to sort of bring you into the show, and that's a great way for us to stay in touch, and I get to hear how you're thinking in real time. We can talk about it. So let's begin. Let's talk about the final countdown. That's what it's about, the final countdown. And I got to tell you, as a kid growing up, I loved that song, the final countdown. And this weekend is the final countdown, is the Democratic race heating up in California. 
Bernie Sanders against Hillary Clinton. And although I don't think it's going to actually matter in the long run, just to give you a sense of the numbers, she needs 2383 to win. She has 2313. It says a lot about what is going on in the nation that we are where we are right now with Bernie and with Hillary. I mean, if we just take a step back and think about this for a second, and, and, and I'm saying this because for like everyone that's been hearing Bernie, Hillary, Bernie, Hillary, like this is it. This, this is it. This is the last weekend. Like it's over. Like it, after next Tuesday, it's on. It's like who's talking about Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz anymore, right? So all the Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush, John Kasich stuff is now gone. They're, they have been taken away from our daily conversations. And I'm feeling a bit nostalgic because after next week, we may – see the end of bernie sanders we may not will we may and california's coming up and what's shocking is that the latest poll shows that bernie sanders is up by a one percentage point over hillary clinton remember last month or two months ago she was up by nine and now he has closed the gap to two days ago it was two and the latest poll that just came out said he may be even up by one. Now, just to think about that for a second. That is incredible, right? That's not like, you know, the New York Knicks beating the Golden State Warriors, right? That's like me and you beating the Golden State Warriors. That's like us getting together and saying, hey, you want to, like, play ball? Sure. How about in the NBA Finals against Steph Curry? I mean, Bernie Sand, if, you would, if we were making a movie and we needed, like, central casting for who would be the least likely candidate to take on Queen Hillary – it would be Bernie Sanders, right? An old guy who was a socialist from a tiny little state that no one's really heard of except if you go skiing with ideas that make no sense in a time where the government has no more money. Like He's like, why don't we spend more money on our credit card? And they're like, uh, Bernie, nobody has any more money left. And he goes out and he has no money, at least if he was like a billionaire, like a crazy billionaire. Fine. You know, it would be like the Democratic version of a Donald Trump, but it's not. He's got no money. And he goes out and I if, and, and I'm saying this nostalgically, you know, what I'm saying like just for a minute, like let's just like look back at the Bernie Sanders rise and think about what we all thought in May and in June and in July. We're like, Bernie, please, like just stop. Like we, we love you and like go home and play with your grandkids and like just stop. And when he got out, he would he's arguably the last person to take down Hillary. But what you found is this entire overwhelming support for Hillary, for, for Bernie. Do you know that under the age of 50, Bernie Sanders has a tw- – listen to this number – has a 27-point advantage amongst all Democratic primary voters under the age of 50. Do you realize, real, that, do you realize how big that is? Almost 30% of people under 50. 50. These are the, this, is what, this is what people are thinking in the country today. Hillary Clinton is winning because of the people over 50 and the people that have voted already before. What, what, what the numbers are not telling us is that lots of times when you're getting a poll number, there are people that haven't voted before. And so it's not a part of their lives. So they don't end up voting at the end of the day. They're young. They may not, not, not have been part of the process before. They may not have felt like they were part of the election cycle before. And so you know, election day comes and they just never did it before. So they just forget or they just go throughout their day. And so what is ultimately Hillary winning state after state, at least enough, that's not reflecting the actual feeling of the nation, especially the young nation. And the question is why? And anytime you see a takedown this big, anytime you see a bank fail, right? Anytime you see a depression, anytime you see some star fall from stardom, you know that on the way down, there are an incredible amount of lessons in life because things don't just break. 
right? Big things don't just collapse. In movies, it can happen in like, you know, five minutes and a good song. But in life, it doesn't work that way, right? Institutions usually make it through. And when you see an institution start to crumble, I am telling you, and you know this already, in there, there's a whole bunch of reasons why. And those reasons have real ramifications for our lives. And what I want to do today, just for the first few minutes of us being together, is identify two of them. Two real big reasons why Hillary, the nominee that was so powerful, I mean, just think about just how much she had lined up for her. Money, she's, got, she's been in the White House, she's got a resume on paper better than anybody else, she's got her husband who was one of the most popular Democratic presidents of all time, especially in modern history. She was so presumptive in her nomination that lots and lots of really, really qualified people backed out. Because they're like, we're not taking on Hillary. Like, that's crazy. That's like going, like, you know, toe-to-toe with Steph Curry on a three-point contest. Like, we're not dumb, except for the crazy guy in the corner from Vermont. And then he takes it to the end. So how come she's collapsing? What is it about her collapse that is so important for our lives? And so I want to tell you a story. And, you know, I do that. You, if you've heard me before, you know that I constantly go back to these stories. And they really mean a lot to me. Because if you go through your life... Lots of times you're sitting in conversations with people or you hear something or something happens and there's moments that can really, if you just capture that principle, can change your life. And I have a couple of them in my career, in my life that I want to share with you. So this one came, I was my second year of being a lawyer. So some of you may or may not know I'm a lawyer by training. I was a lawyer for many, many years. I like to call myself a recovering attorney. And I was... A, my second year at a big law firm, and I was in the real estate practice. And, you know, the goal of being a, a lawyer is to do good work for your client, try to make more clients, and try to make more money for the firm. And so the first level of being a lawyer is doing good law work. That's just sort of how it works. But the next level of being a lawyer is connecting your clients to other opportunities, right? If you're a guy that can not only do good law work, but can your clients now have access to new deals and new transactions, then you become invaluable. So I'm doing my work, and then one night was this big dinner that all the real estate guys in New York went to. So I went, and I'm in a cocktail party, and I'm talking to some guy, and you know, he starts telling me about the things he's working on. Now, one of my clients is an investor of real estate apartments in New York City. This guy knows how to buy an apartment building better than anybody, and he's got like 20 blocks, and he only buys in 20 blocks, and he, this is what he does. This is his business. So I'm talking to this guy, and he's like, yeah. I'm like, what do you do? He goes, well, we've got this, this, this transaction. We've got this deal that's taking place in this block and that block. I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is exactly what my client does. This is, this, is, this is it. This is like my moment, my first moment where I get to like transcend the just sit around and do documents to actually getting the deal for my client. So I'm like, you know what? I got, I got a client that can actually buy this. He's like, really? Let's talk. So the next day comes. I call him. We follow up. I get all the details, and it sounds like it is perfect. It sounds like it's perfect. And I'm going through it. I'm going through it. And I call my client and I say, listen, and I'll do this a lot. Can I take you out for a cup of coffee? I think I got the deal that is going to totally, that you're going to love and you're going to take. And he goes, you know, truth is, you know, you're a young guy. This guy was ready. You know, he's much older than I am. And he goes, but you know what? You're, you're doing a good job for me. Sure. I'm happy to meet you for coffee. So he comes out. I'm sitting across the table to him with a cup of coffee. And I start telling him the deal. And I'm telling him, I'm telling him, I'm telling him. And he's like, this is perfect. This is right down the fairway. He's like, wow, this is good work, young man. I'm like, thank you. 
sir. And he's going through and we're going through it and I'm going through it. And, and my eyes are like, this is like my dream. Like, you know, I'm that rainmaker guy. And I'm saying, and he's going through and he's okay. He's writing stuff down. And he's like, you know, patting me on the back and everything is great. And he goes, at last, he goes, oh yeah, one more thing. I said, what? He says, who's it with? Who's the seller? And I mentioned the guy's name and the guy freezes. When we come back, we're going to talk about exactly what happened and just how important it is to make sure that you are where you're supposed to be in the business world and in life. This is Charlie Harari filling in for Buck Sexton, and you're listening to The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth. On the Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. Hi, everybody. Charlie Harari in for Buck Sexton. Welcome to the show. You can tweet me at Charlie Harari. Um, Looking forward to spending the time with you right now. Talking about this conversation I had when I first started my career as a lawyer, sitting across the table from a big investor and giving him a deal that I thought would totally change my career by being this rainmaker. So I'm sitting at this table and I'm giving him this opportunity and he's, he's looking at it and his eyes are getting bright and it's really great and he's taking the notes and the last thing he says to me is, who is this with? And I give him the name of the guy who is running the deal, right? The guy who has the building and he just freezes. And you know that freeze you get when, like, you're talking to someone with integrity, but he doesn't want to say something bad about somebody else? You know those people? I love those people. You know, like, like it's like usually like your, your grandfather or somebody with, like, integrity, you know, a good person. And they hear a name that they don't like at all, and they don't just go out and bash them, right? They, they just, like, hold it in because, you know, they've got too much of that, like, goodness in them. And I'm sitting there, and, like, he just freezes, and I'm like, oh, no. And I'm like, oh, is there something wrong? And I could see in his head, like, you know, he goes from, I don't want to, like, you know, say the wrong thing, but this is, like, a young guy, and I'm going to teach him a lesson. So he goes into, like, that, like, teaching mode. I love that, like, older to younger guy teaching mode, right? So, like, he looks in, and he goes, son. And I'm like, yeah, dad. Like, at at one-on-one moment, he goes, I don't think I can do it. I said, oh, come. This is a great deal for you. He goes, yeah, but I just don't trust that guy. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I did a deal with him a few uh, years ago, and I just don't trust him. So I'm like, I'm sorry for asking, but I, well, what happened? He said, well, we did a deal together, and the way these deals work is that we share the fees. So when you buy a building, especially a big building, there are all these fees that come up, you know, management, leasing, this, that. And the deal was that we would share them. And then one day, he happened to have been in that building, and he saw something. And he goes, wait a second. We're not getting a fee on that. And he went back, and he checked what he was getting every month. And he called this guy and he said, why am I not getting this fee? And he said he went totally defensive. Well, no, we're not supposed to get the fee. And, and we never negotiated, never contracted for it. And he goes, yeah, but the spirit of the transaction was that we were supposed to be there together. Like, why am I not getting this fee? And he goes, well, no, we never. And he, he, he was so defensive. 
that he said, you know what? I'm not fighting you, but I'm not doing business with you ever again. So he goes, I'm sorry. You can't do business with people that you don't trust. And he got up to leave and he turned around to me. And he just turned around and he said to me, you know what the funny thing is? Had he just called and said, I, I want to take the fee, I would have given it to him. It's not about the money. He goes, and you know what else? When I called him on it, he just said, hey, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't realize or I, was, I, I took too much. Had he just owned up to it, I would have been okay with it. Because humans are humans. We make bad mistakes. We let greed get to us. But when we can't own up, it shows that we're just not trustworthy. I can't do business. Sorry. And he walked out. And I got to tell you to this day, I have never forgotten that lesson. Because all of us have this, by the way. All of us have these moments where we do something wrong. Right, we we take we take too much. We get our hands caught in the cookie jar. Right, we 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 step over the line. We say something that's wrong. We take something that's not ours. We allow our greed or our desires or our temptations get to us. Right, we don't all have moments where we fail. All of us do, and we know we fail because they, we have that little GPS inside that conscious that soul that says, "Oh, that's not who we are." And at that moment, you have a chance to like make a correction, but we don't. We don't do it. We, we think we're going to get away with it. So we just stay quiet because, all right, it was a little bad for me to take that. But, like, no one's paying attention. We justify, well, the guy doesn't care or, you know, it's the government or whatever it is. And then, like, it sits and we get called out. You ever get that? You get called out. You get the phone call. What's this? Or you get a call from somebody saying, you said this about, about so-and-so? What would you say to her? What would you do to this? There's that moment. And it's at, at that moment where we get called out, that's who we are. That's it. That's our integrity. That's where the flaw comes out. And when we get caught, when we realize something's wrong, we say, hey, my bad. I messed that up. We show the person across that the flaw was in our actions. But when we don't take ownership, we show the person across the phone that the flaw is in our character. And when someone messes up in their actions, you can deal with that. All of us are flawed. But when someone messes up and it's their character, then you can't trust them. You can't do it. And the best advice I've gotten, whatever I lost in that opportunity, I gained back a hundred times because I can't count the time that I'm sitting across from somebody, whether it's personally, whether it's for my family, whether it's in my business, and I'm looking over and there's that character flaw that comes out and they have such, it's glistening. What they, the opportunity is perfect, right? They're saying things that make sense and I can see the character and I have that like, don't trust the person who's untrustworthy. Don't do business. Don't, don't get into bed with somebody who you feel they've got a flawed character. It is like we can smell it. And at the end of the day, it is that more than anything that makes us, us. And all of us go through it all the time. You want to know why Hillary Clinton is getting beaten by Bernie Sanders? It's because the country is grappling with this one issue. It's amazing how one issue can come back to taunt and to hurt somebody. When Hillary Clinton last summer came out and the inspector general under Kerry's administrator, Kerry's secretary of state did a search and realized that she had a private email account that was put into her home 
And with that email server, she was conducting state business. That When that came out in May, right? we've been talking about this so much that when you hear it, you're like, here we go again. It's like the lullaby effect. It, e- Hillary and emails are like – it's like become like a trigger word. When you want to say – if you say the word email – scandal to somebody if if this is going to be a psychological test one day email scandal is going to be hillary clinton like when that came out in may she made a real choice as to what to do with it listen to what she said when this came out in may oh i'm not willing to say it was an error in judgment because what nothing that i did was wrong it was not it was not in any way prohibited you heard that no 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 no. i i i I didn't do no 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 no. i didn't do anything wrong anything wrong you know what she actually went a little further listen to this listen to this thing that she said this is by the way what sums it all up for me listen to what how she responded when this first came out by the way you may have seen that i recently launched a snapchat account (laughs) i love it i love it those messages disappear all by themselves (laughs) isn't that hysterical hillary I didn't know that she was a comedian as well. I love it. <laughs> they, I could just do whatever I want and step all over our country and not, and get away with it. This is the moment. This is the phone call. Hey, we called you out. This is the inspector general saying, why were you going and having a private email server? And her saying, uh, I didn't do anything wrong. When that happens, over the course of time, we start to say, Maybe it wasn't a character in her actions. Maybe it's it's not a flaw in her actions. Maybe it's a flaw in her character. When we come back, we're going to talk about just how that impacts an election, what we can learn from it. This is Charlie Harari filling in for Buck Sexton. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to the show, Buck Sexton Show. Charlie Harari filling in for Buck. Honored to be with you today. Honored to be talking to the great Team Buck, talking about one of the most important things that I've learned in life, which is you got to be trustworthy. And when you're talking to somebody who is not trustworthy, you just don't do business with them. And we feel it and we know it. And every one of us, every one of us has been in that situation where we've done something wrong. All of us have had a moment. We've done something wrong. And when somebody calls us out on it. It could be a family member calling out what you said wrong to somebody, and you were just wrong off the bat. It can be in business. It can be in anything in life. And it's at that moment when you get called out on doing the wrong thing, if you can just own it up, you're basically saying that was an action that's not me, and you build trust. But when you hold back, when you get defensive, when you just continuously defend your errors and judgment, it becomes a mountain and then finally, people start to say, we got a problem in that person, not just that actions. And that is what's happening today on the street. This is why Hillary Clinton is losing. And if you look at this, the L.A. Times did this great study, and they found that among likely voters not supporting Clinton, what was the reason? So here's what they found, that women said that she wasn't genuine. Men said the word scandal. You'll find that they're both saying the same thing. She had a moment where she could have came out in – this would have been one news cycle in June. She would have been my fault. We, we had some stuff that's – I made a mistake. 
We should never have done that. This was a dumb mistake on my part. I got personal business. I got this business. Unless there's something going on here that we're all going to find out about pretty, pretty soon as this thing starts to come up to be a real heat. What was really happening in some of those emails? You know, Clinton's got a foundation, and she was Secretary of State. And there's some rumors saying that what was happening is that you were getting some special special treatment if you were able to give a nice donation to that Clinton Foundation. If that comes out, I mean, that is – I mean, we, we've sunken pretty low in terms of letting our politicians go with stuff. But if that is – that's just – that's low. Selling state the State Department for for some extra cash. I mean, that's as low as it gets. But over the course of time, every time we hear that email thing come out, and now the Inspector General last week came out with a report basically saying that she messed up completely, that she was totally wrong. The Inspector General, by the way, just so you know, is the is the governmental body that's in a department as like the watchdog. Where was the Inspector General during Hillary Clinton's tenure? And the answer is she had no Inspector General. How do you like that? The Inspector General of John Kerry's Secretary of State Administration found it because there was no Inspector General for Hillary Clinton. Now, you hear that, and your gut's like, I don't know if I want to do business with her. And that's it. And that is the overwhelming reason why people just can't get around her candidacy. Because at the end of the day, you don't want to do business with people that you just don't trust. But there's something else going on. And, and we have to understand this because Bernie's not just up there saying that Hillary's untrustworthy, although that is totally killing her. Bernie is doing something that all of us fall for every time we need it, right? How many times have you done something where you've you know, gained too much weight or gotten too much debt or taken, taken something and you need a fix and someone comes in and says, hey, you want to make some more money? Easy program overnight real millionaire and you're like really we want to lose a lot of weight don't worry my diet will 24 days and you're going to lose all that all that body you're like really whenever you're in a situation of peril it is human nature to want the white knight to gallop in on the horse that's how we were raised that's how we you know how many times do you see a movie where it's like the same plot right you got cinderella who's stuck and the prince comes in and gives her a kiss and you've got somebody who's down and there's a savior that walks in and saves the day we clamor for these easy decisions we clamor for these easy fixes we all think that there's like this one thing that people know that if i just knew that I'd, I'd make it, right? In the second half of the show, we're going to talk a little bit about how Donald Trump used that thinking to make a lot of money in Trump University, which is going to be a huge scandal brewing, which is you know later down the pike. But we all think this way. Now, what is the greatest thing facing our nation today? Tweet at me. Tell me what you think. What is? I'm going to tell you the answer before you get to me, but I'm going to look right now. What is the greatest challenge our nation is facing right now? And my thought is that what we're facing right now is a lagging economy. We don't have enough money. People are in need of more money. We don't have enough money to pay our bills. We know our jobs aren't producing enough. People are going to work two, three jobs to be able to make make a living. We are right now in an economy that is anemic, and we feel it. A couple, a couple weeks ago, I filled in for Michael Pelka. You can check it out. That We did the podcast on the, the Blaze podcast under Charlie Harari. We basically show there's a stat that came out that one in six, listen to this, one in six millennial men are either unemployed or in jail. That is incredible. 
And when there's not enough money, people are, they feel it. You feel insecure. You feel like you don't have enough. Well, why isn't there enough money for? And the real reason is because of debt. The real reason why we are all suffering right now is because we take on too much debt. We borrow so much. It's free now. When you go to the store and you want to buy a television, in the old days, when I was growing up, my mom would say, that's a great TV, but I don't have enough money to buy the television. Today we go, no problem, Ma. Here's what you do. Here's a piece of plastic. Buy it anyways. But we can't afford it, but it doesn't matter. You just keep on borrowing and borrowing and borrowing. And what happens is if you keep on borrowing and borrowing over the course of time, you're going to have to pay that back, but you pay it back with interest. So if you buy a TV today, in two years from now, when you're still paying back that TV, you're not paying back just for the TV. You're paying back for the TV and the interest rates. Now, if you can imagine a world where we are borrowing and borrowing and borrowing for so many years, you wake up every day, you know where most of your money is going to? It's going to pay back debt. You know where most of those businesses' money is going to? To pay back debt. You know where people are putting their investments down to pay back debt, so there's just not enough money more left to go around. Not enough money for that job owner to offer someone a new job. Not enough money for that person who's making a salary to spend it on things that they want because that money is going to pay back that debt that we all took out just a couple years old. Did you know that there's, we're reaching a trillion dollars in credit card debt? A trillion dollars in credit card debt. That number is the highest it's been since 2006. It was a trillion dollars right before we had that huge recession that we got hit with. That was where the, 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 the world was at. But there's one demographic that is being hit worse than everybody else. When you come back, we're going to talk about that one demographic and just how Bernie Sanders is playing them. This is just brilliance. There's one demographic in our country that has more debt than everybody else. They are burdened and they are scared. And I've got to tell you something. They are hamstrung. They know their future is bleak. And there's one guy selling them the dream. That's Bernie. How's he doing it? We're going to talk about it. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show. This is Charlie Rye filling in for Buck on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, everybody. Charlie Harari here filling in for Buck Sexton. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Great to be with you. Great to speak to you. Talking about debt. You know, I got a great tweet over the break from Fritz. Uh, He had a great point where he says that Hillary's been basically saying that the Republicans are stopping her, right? It's the Republicans, Republicans, it's the conspiracy. Every time, have you, how many times have you heard this conspiracy theorism stuff, right? Just, to, just for the record, the inspector general that is leading this charge was appointed by Barack Obama. So this whole Republicans conspiracy stuff, it's getting a little tiring. Thank you, Fritz, for that. It's, a, it's an excellent point how we're just, she just got to say sorry. Like, that's it. Just sorry, sorry, but she won't. She, she won't to, to the very end. She will go down. Like her husband, who will look, stand in front of a nation and say, I didn't, have, I didn't touch that woman. I didn't have sexual relations with that woman until finally they bust him. Same way of thinking it's going to take her down. Speaking about Bernie Sanders, and right before we went to the break, we spoke about this, this, this debt that all of us, so to speak, are dealing with. Free money. Free money. Free money. Free money. But there's one demographic that is, I guess, in the worst place. And I don't even blame them. 
If you've got too much credit card debt, it could be that you buy the TV and you shouldn't. Okay, we, we can have that conversation about fiscal responsibility at the time. But really, I think the, I, I think the greatest travesty that our nation is facing, this is a little bit bold, but what I'll say it anyways, is this, this entire system of selling kids the dream of education at price points that are impossible for them to actually have a successful career afterwards based on the debt they get out. Yeah, and, and, and by the way, anyone who goes to – I actually am a professor in a university, and I'm not saying about my, the university that I teach at. But I got to tell you, if you go to any university, you know that that university is filled to the gills with excess and bureaucracy and the usual crap that just keeps things from working efficiently. And you're paying for that professor who does nothing but sit in the corner and research something. And you're paying for the – you're just – it's coming out of your pocket. And now these kids, these college students are coming out and they are saddled with debt. There is $1.3 trillion. Do you know how much $1.3 trillion in student loan debt right now? Right, twenty-five percent of graduates with student loans over twenty-five thousand say they can't do their own thing; they can't start a company. Well, twenty-five years ago, when people went to college, they didn't take out so much debt. People were coming out with less and less debt. Now, seventy percent of the graduating class of two thousand of sixteen, seventy percent have an average of almost forty thousand dollars of student loans. What are you supposed to do with forty thousand dollars of student loans with an interest rate? How is that working? And so what you have right now is a nation that has all these young graduates, and they're all like throwing up their caps and gowns, and it's June, and yay, I got credit for philosophy, and yay, I took this, and I took that, and I got this degree and that degree, and they come out into the world, and they get this bill that says, for the next 20 years of your life, you owe me money. And they're like, what money? I got to start a family. I got to get a business. I got to get a job. I got to pay my bills and milk. What what if I want to have a kid? And on that top, we're getting one after the other. We're getting completely fleeced by a system that has, I think, not prepared the students enough for a world that they're going into. And they are now going to spend the majority of their working life paying back that debt. That's a problem. And that problem is sweeping our nation. And that problem is facing young people. Not just young people. That follows facing people into their 30s, into their 40s today. That's that student debt burden is overwhelming us. And it is overwhelming us to a point in which people are clamoring for an answer. And you know what? One person has given them the answer they want. Bernie Sanders. You know what he's saying? Make it free. Right? It's Wall Street's fault. And when you hear somebody say, hey, it's not me. It's not let's fix the universities. It's not the system's fault. It's the rich people's fault. Let's just make it free. I got an idea when we don't have enough money. Why don't we just increase taxes? Because as it is, you're paying money for your debts. Why don't you pay more money in taxes? Let me suck more money out of your pocket. That should make sense. Give it to the government. Give it to the institutions that are the reason why you're here in the first place, right? Because the the 1% of the crew that's on Wall Street, they're all the bad guys. But when you hear someone get up there and say, the answer is free, it's someone else's fault, sounds good. Sounds real good. And it allows people to get their anger off their chests, to cheer and to yell, 
and to point fingers. And Donald Trump's doing the same thing, by the way, just differently. You got two candidates pointing fingers to a, an angry crowd, basically, that are frustrated with how, how the system has left them. And that's what you're getting. And it scares me to no end that you've got an electorate that actually believes that more and more and more bureaucracy, more redistribution, more of these institutions that put us here in the first place is going to be the answer. Because make it free and make it free. Don't just make it free. And this Bernie Sanders way of looking at how the world works to a group of people that are struggling they are struggling, and I don't even think it's their fault. They didn't. I don't think they did anything wrong. I don't think that nineteen-year-old that walked into college knew that when they get she got out, she got out of college, or he got out of college, what was going to happen to her or him. But the way we deal with it is not the way Bernie is saying. We don't deal with it by increasing more government and more bureaucracy and more and more and more. We do it by less. But this is what he's capturing, which is why he's so popular with the younger people. And when you got a system where the the big institution is untrustworthy. And the small guy is clamoring for more free stuff we can take out of the rich guy's pocket. You ever wonder why where he is one percentage point above Hillary going into California? Why he has surmounted every single obstacle? Because he's playing to the crowd. And that is a dangerous thing to do. But that's what politics is all about. It's these tapping into the anger and into the frustration of the electorate without actually sometimes dealing with the real issues that what got us here and what we need to do to claw our way back to less entitlements, to being more fiscally responsible, to taking our economy back, to deleveraging, to taking money out of the government's pocket because the government can do very little in terms of actually solving the big problems. And that would actually save the day. But that requires a little bit more difficulty than someone getting up there and pointing to some rich people. And I pre- great shout out by Kira. Thank you for that. Kira from just tweeted me out about these, the, she's out of university as well. But that's really what it's all about. And I think that each and every one of us in our own way need to be able to see that in ourselves, to see in ourselves the moments in life where we've climbed into too much of a problem and we want someone else to save us, where we can actually find a piece of ourselves and say, I got to take care of myself. I can do this. And that's what it means, I think, to be an American. It's the American dream. To rely on the government, but to rely on our own selves. This is Charlie Harari filling in for Buck. You're listening to the Blaze Radio Network. We'll be right back. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Charlie Harari here, filling in for Buck. Honored to be here today, sitting in his chair, talking to Team Buck, the great Team Buck. Loving the tweets that we're getting in over the break here. One idea that I just wanted to—we spoke last hour about the idea of being trustworthy. Hillary Clinton's issues and Bernie Sanders is giving away free stuff for people that are 
over debt, overburdened with debt. And one of the things that I was thinking about is that, you know, when you think about it, when you've got too much debt, what you really should be doing is investing in innovation to make things more efficient, right? To make things better. You should be going back and saying, universities, you got to tell me that you're going to do better with your graduates for cheaper, but we're not doing any of that. It's like this feeling of as soon as we've got too much, let's just put on more and more and more stuff. And this feeling is going to be a problem for us because we should be naturally saying we've invested too much in this. Let's try to make it better, more efficient. Let's do it differently. Doing things differently has really changed the game here in the election. And i got to tell you, for those that have heard me, I am not in any which way, form, a fan of Donald Trump. But the one thing that I am constantly amazed with is his campaign and what it has done to change the face of politics. Joining me right now is Jake Novak. Jake Novak is a political a political contributor whose post has been featured on a an incredible amount of websites, but in particular, he recently wrote a post that has gone viral on CNBC's website in which he said, I was wrong about Donald Trump. He will be the next president. Jake Novak, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Charlie. So you write this post. I'm seeing it all over the place. In the post, you're basically saying that Donald Trump doesn't need a base. He has changed the game on what would be normative politics of playing to a base. What do you mean? Oh, well, he doesn't. By, by that, I mean he doesn't mean the traditional Republican base. Um, he, he needs, you know, everyone needs votes. It's not a question of, of where you get them. The point is, the traditional Republican base, such as it is, that every expert has said for years, well, first you've got to get your base. If you're a Republican or Democrat, first you have to shore up the base in the primaries, and then you go for the middle in the general election. And I think Donald Trump looked at the Republican base and saw that it was too small, that even if he got 100% of it, and doesn't matter when he got it, it wouldn't be enough to win an election. And that's what's happened to the Republicans in the last few years. And I think it's shrinking even more. And so, I think the first thing that Donald Trump had to do was to say, I am not from this regular Republican team, because even if he wins on that team, it's not enough to win. So so how does he do it? So what is it that he has been using? I know that you mentioned a bunch of times you speak about how. And you know, the more I think about it, the more it, it shocks me. But you're right, which is everyone says he has no experience. But what you had said in one of your posts that I've seen is that he does have experience. He's a reality TV star. And being a reality TV star in today's political environment is probably better experience than being a politician. Yes. And, you know, when most people talk about his reality TV experience, they say it to denigrate him. They're making fun of him. They think, oh, how can this reality star you know, do well? Well, I say it in another way. I am very much impressed by the fact that doing things by the reality show uh, menu and playbook is a great way to win an American uh, national election. And Trump has proven it. Let's talk about some of the things you see in reality TV. First of all, reality TV, when you watch it, even for just a minute, you know who the good guys and the bad guys are. They do a very good job of identifying villains and showing you the person you're kind of rooting for. They do it with the music. They do it with certain other kinds of editing tricks. And Donald Trump immediately told us who some of the enemies were. Uh, and he also started to insult people from the Republican base, including John McCain, including Mitt Romney, people who he knew, whether you like them or not, you, your, your immediate reaction when you hear John McCain's name or Mitt Romney's name when you are a Republican is pretty much, yeah, that's the guy that lost. You might like them, but that's your immediate reaction. And Trump has got to get away from that loser stuff. And really, Charlie, the best thing that reality show writers do is you don't know they exist. There are, I happen to know, Oscar-winning 
Emmy-winning, fantastic writers in Hollywood who go uncredited on some of the most successful reality shows. They're very, very good. They get paid for it. I say they go uncredited. They, don't get pay- they, they still get paid. But they don't want to be publicly known to be part of you know, the Housewife show or some of these other kinds of shows. But they make it very, very good. And their best talent, Charlie, is to make something sound and look like it's completely unrehearsed and unscripted and off the cuff when in reality it's been quite well scripted, quite well strategized, and even sometimes focus grouped. So you think that when Donald Trump, I mean, I have a picture of Donald Trump sitting in his, in his robe, you know, that has gold on it, in some room with a lot of gold, and he's just like tweeting out stuff. Like he comes home and he's like, I hate this, boom, tweet, tweet, tweet. He's barely thinking, he's like in bed. That's in my opinion. I, I see Donald Trump in bed, like, honey, in a minute, let me just tweet out a, an insult to, you know, five million people. And you don't think that's happening. You think that there's some concerted effort that's going into making it look like he's being unscripted because it's going to make it look more genuine. Absolutely. And, you know, for Bucks listeners who aren't completely familiar with Charlie, you know, Charlie is a, you should, you know, he's a consultant to businesses. He, he understands how businesses work and he understands that branding and marketing are so very important. And you can hate Trump all day long. But almost every single one of us believes that what he says and does is the real Trump. This is what he thinks and what he says. Well, understand, folks, that is a huge victory. That is more than half the battle in the marketing and messaging world. Think about it. When you go into a department store and you take a look at a bunch of products and you don't know what their product really is, that's a really tough deal for that. You're not going to buy that product. Now, you might not buy the product that you do know, but the chances of you buying the product you don't know are zero. And we feel, we believe that we know who the real Donald Trump is based on the way that this marketing and messaging of his campaign is going. And that's a great thing that reality show writers do. Again, like I said, they immediately identify heroes. They immediately define people very, very well. Whether it's fair or not, whether it's real or not, doesn't matter. I mean, reality show is a real misnomer. It's really non-reality show. But they do a great job of it. And that's what Trump is doing. And we know who he is. We think we know don't we? And that's a big, big deal because honestly, take a look at the other side of Hillary Clinton. I don't really know who she is. Even after all these years of running, what's her slogan? She doesn't have a make a great America right. great type slogan. I'm with her. Yeah. Uh, is that her slogan? Right, I'm with her. Right. Between you and me, I'm with her is creepy. I already have a wife. Thank you very much. <laughs> and am I with her because Bill isn't? You know, I don't know. What's going on with that? Yeah. I, it's very, very, it's, it's a weak, it's a weak uh, slogan. And, I, and honestly, I don't think it's their official slogan anyway. I don't know what their official slogan is. And that's a huge problem. That's bad marketing bad messaging. But do you think, I mean, as we're talking this through, and and I love learning these lessons, this is what it's all about. It's about trying to dissect the principles behind a phenomenon. And there's no question that Donald Trump is a phenomenon. Everybody counted him out. And while I am scared to death of him becoming president, you got to give a man credit that he is this far along the way and figure out how he got here. I would have thought and, and when I got to tell you honestly, when he said the thing about John McCain and, and the war veteran thing, I heard Chris Rock made that joke. I heard Chris Rock say it about about John McCain when he's running against Barack Obama. He, he did it much funnier. Obviously, he's Chris Rock. He's hysterical. And I remember thinking to myself, man, thank God it was a, a comedy show and not real because that's the most – ridiculous thing somebody could say that a pow is he should have gotten away like really like we're playing like the the great american race and he was slower he says it and i'm thinking okay that's it game over like you know next channel next candidate why do you think that he is winning when he is unscriptedly insulting people like if you're unscripted and you're genuine and you're a good guy, like I get that, and maybe you're not as articulate, so someone writes it for you, or maybe that you know you do things that you know are, you're you're more of a hero than a savior. You know, you say the right words, and we always have you know songwriters and actors that in real life they're bubbling fools, but like you know they've got great scriptwriters, so we think they're incredible. But in this case, 
Donald Trump goes the other way. Like, he goes down and dirty. He makes fun of people. He taps into racism. He's now knocking out a judge because he happens to be have a Mexican. His parents have Mexican. I mean, like that. He is just one insult after the other. How has that managed to get people excited about him? Well, I'll explain it to you in five words, Charlie. We're not the target audience. You know, if you're the kind of person who listens to what Trump says and what he does, and it makes you angry or it makes you laugh, you're not the voter he's looking for. And I guarantee you, you probably weren't the kind of person who would have voted for him anyway, from either side, Republican or Democrat. There are millions and millions of people who are not offended and not upset when they hear the things he said about John McCain or when, he hears, when they hear the things he says about Mexicans and when, he, when they hear the things he says about Susan Martinez. Just go, you know, go on down the line. And there are millions and millions of them. And most of them are white voters who have not been voting in the last few elections. You know that in 2008, 2012, black voters voted in a higher percentage of their population than white voters did. Obviously, more whites voted in total, but the, the percentage of whites who went to the polls was lower than the percentage of blacks that went to the polls. That means that the largest single ethnic group in this country, and I know it's shrinking, and I know minorities are starting to overtake whites, but they're still the largest, is a, a total untapped uh, a, a mountain of wealth in a national election. And Trump, for the first time since 1968, is a presidential candidate who's going after the white vote, literally the white vote. And what's funny about that is if I say, hey, I'm a candidate, I'm going after the, the black vote, I'm going after the Latino vote, people don't, don't get upset about that. It sounds great. Uh, but even to me, <laughs> as a white person, if I hear a candidate saying, I want to get those white voters out in the streets again, it kind of, sounds kind of freaky, right? It's a little scary. But you know what? From a mathematical standpoint, it makes sense. And again, if you are outraged by Donald Trump, if you are frightened to death of Donald Trump, like many of us are, you're not the target audience. We're just not. And that is the key to understanding his campaign, the key to understanding how he's going to win in November. And I think it's uh, the sooner we get out of denial, the more we'll be able to start talking about what kind of president he'll be and maybe hoping to shape his policies the way we'd like them. And you think he will win. You think that if this yeah. is a Hillary-Trump battle to the end, and especially with this Trump University stuff, which we're going to talk about later on in the show, and with all that he's going through, you think when push comes to shove, you know, Swing states, states that have have you know have always sort of gone one way that he's going to need to that he's going to need to get. You think the country at the end of the day is going to get behind Donald Trump over someone like Hillary Clinton, even well, with all it's going inc- to be an incredibly divisive country, and we're going to see more incidents like last night with the egg throwing and the punching, and it, it's going to be a very very nasty campaign. That I can promise you. That's a very easy promise. It's going to be a very rough few months for the country. I know there's going to be some embarrassing things. There's going to be some some things that we really don't like. Uh, I don't think that anything that a candidate says, it, it justifies violence. So, you know, I don't think that, you know, no matter how bad Trump sounds to you, you know, if you're someone who's going to go out there and throw eggs at people, you know, I can't condone that. And I certainly can't condone anything Hillary, you know, somebody might say, you know, to Hillary or do it at Hillary or Bernie rally if, if it's violent. But no, I do think he will win. I think he's going to win states. Uh, you know, people keep asking me, well, you know, what are the states that Obama won in 2012 that uh, Trump's going to win? Well, I'll tell you, he's going to win Iowa. He's going to win Ohio. I think he's going to win Florida. I think he has a chance to win uh, New Hampshire and Maine. I think he has a good chance to win in New Mexico. And I think he has a good chance to win in November. He wins all those states. He, you know, he doesn't have to win all those states to win. Um, but right now, in my math, I think it's, he's going to win 292 to 246, 246 in electoral votes. And I don't know what the popular vote will be. I think the popular vote will be less close than that uh, from a percentage wow. point of view. I got to tell you, I don't think anybody, if, if you had a dollar that you put on him on Vegas, you, you, you'd be retired right now. I don't think, I think the odds of his candidacy was, I mean, it was negative. I cannot believe we're living through this. And, and, and what's amazing is this reality TV way of doing things. 
Um, and I wonder if, if sort of the country, I don't want to say we deserve it because that's not right, but I wonder in the culture of reality television, if we're just, if it's sort of just coming true, right? Like if people are on TV watching a guy and like we've been so primed for this type of activity and behavior that we're almost attracted to it. Well, you know, I don't really blame the culture uh, like you are in this case, although I think you make some valid points. You know, at my core, and I think a lot of the listeners are the same, at my core, I'm mostly a libertarian. I, I, I really, when we, when we hear about outrageous things going on in government from either party, my feeling is, you know what, maybe we should just, just not have so much government. You know, maybe that, that's really, yeah. the, you know, prevention is better than cure. I'm with you. And honestly, I think that the real problem is not our culture. I think the real problem is the structure of our government. I think that, you know what, look, times have changed since the original Constitution. I don't think we should change or ignore the Constitution without following the, the, the proper amendment process. So, don't, you know, don't worry, I'm not a post-constitutional person. But I'll tell you right now, I think we have too much power in our presidency right now. I think the presidency and the cabinet and the federal and, and, and the executive branch in general have way too much power. It's too much power in a nuclear world. It's, it's way too much power in the economic world. You know, and it goes beyond just the wars. Like I said, it's economic. You know, President Nixon, just on his own, was able to take our country off the gold standard in 1971. And we've had huge economic reverberations both positive yeah. and negative, just based on that. Where was the congressional vote on that? Where was the public vote on that? That's something that affects everything that's in our wallets, you know? So I think we have too much power, and I think Donald Trump's election, if that's what it takes to get people to understand that we have a presidency in this country that's too powerful, no matter who's sitting in that chair, then so be it. Jake, your, your, your insights are always incredible. We appreciate you being on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. This, is, this is Charlie Harari. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show, and we'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. Charlie Rari here for Buck. Hope everyone's doing great. Just had Jake Novak on talking about Donald Trump and his political experience as a reality TV show host. It just shocks me. I, maybe just me. I don't know. It just shocks me. But, you know, Jake makes some really, I think, coherent points about his strategy of looking unscripted really just, I guess, firing people up and pushing people to the brink to get a new group of people out. we got some callers going around to some of the great members of Team Buck. we got some calls. We're going to turn to some calls right now. Jason out of D.C. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, i got a lot of uh, things to say specifically about your previous guest. First of all, look, going forward, any poll that does not include the libertarians. Now, remember, this is a ticket with two former governors. As a matter of fact, Bill Weld was reelected, who is the vice presidential nominee in the state of Massachusetts, at over 70%. Let me say that again. That is the most successful governor in an election in the entire history of the state of Massachusetts. Do you not think that Massachusetts is actually in play? How about places like New Mexico? See, what's happening is this idea that you can game the system out with just two parties does not work. The battleground states could actually be maybe 20 states right now. Remember, I, we're not dealing with Jason, I agree with you here. Two percentage points. I, I, I like the fact that there's a libertarian party that's coming in with two governors. I think it's great for the election. I, I completely agree with you. I think as we get further down this road, 
we still need to see choices. And having more than just Trump-Clinton would be an incredible, refreshing perspective on what we're going to have to suffer with without that. So I, I agree with you. I think having two governors on the ticket, giving people – and, and by the way, like Jake said, I think there's a lot of libertarians out there or people that would entertain this way of thinking that but for the weakness of the two candidates, they wouldn't have otherwise. But I couldn't agree with you more. Just you know, let me let me put it this way: you these two governors, and this is what gets completely overridden by the the dogma that's out there of having to vote for the lesser of two evils. These two governors balanced their budgets for eight years. They are the most fiscally conservative, constitutionally mind people in this race. As a matter of fact, whatever Trump ticket or Hillary Clinton ticket is going to be, they actually have more executive experience. So at this point going forward, if anybody brings up any poll of head-to-head between Trump and Hillary, those are completely null and void, and it should be pointed out because these polling companies are in on the the stuff. I spoke with Bruce Fine, who's head of the lawsuit against the Commission on Presidential Debates this past weekend at the Libertarian Convention. He is of the firm opinion that the polling companies are in collusion with both the Republicans and Democrats to never allow the public to understand that there are others in the race. I personally have gotten two phone calls from polling companies that when I got to question number five and number six, when it said, would you vote for Trump or Clinton? And I'm not going to vote for them. There is no lesser of two evils. They're both evil. It hung up on me. Interesting. And that's somehow in the data. You know, Jason, you make a very good point, and I appreciate the call because you you said something that I want to just sort of touch up on, and I appreciate you you're you're giving us a call because you said something a second ago that just sort of got me like, you know, it it like shocked me a little bit, which is their experience, right? It's almost as if... What's happened in this presidential election, it's turned into a reality context. And as opposed to being judged on your experience, being judged on your executive experience, right? These are governors. I don't know why governors are not given more preferential treatment to become presidents because they're many presidents, right? They are the executive branch of a state. And yet you find, and I don't know why this is. If these people were running for a job in your company, you would say, okay, well, what's your experience? And you'd look at it and go, wow, you balanced the budget? You ran a, you, you ran a, 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 a state for a period of time? This is really good presidential stuff. But for some reason, we find that you know, people just don't settle on what is the more uh, you know, reasonable way of thinking. But, but really, I appreciate you coming on the show. We're going to go to Ed right now before we, before we leave. Uh, Ed's calling in from California. Ed, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. It's, it's glad to hear you're doing a good job for Buck. I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. Appreciate those um, kind words. Um, my whole thing today is about what happened to San Jose last night, what I saw. You know, I, I'm only about 30 miles from there. I was going to go, and I decided against it because, well, pretty much what happened last night. I saw a 65-year-old man get sucker punched by a bunch of um, young Latinos carrying a Mexican flag. Ed, Ed, just walk alongside. Ed, we're going to a break. Stay with me. When we come back, we're going to start with you, okay? Stay with me. We're going to go to a break quickly right now. This is Charlie Harali filling in for Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. We'll be right back with Ed. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey everybody, Charlie Harari here filling in for Buck. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show. So much going on in the world. Uh, we're talking about uh, Jake Novak was on last hour. We're talking about Donald Trump and the reality style. Talking about the need for experienced Libertarian Party. We got Ed on the line here from California. We, we, we left him and we went into the break. And Ed's here talking about what happened in San Jose last night and the violence there. Ed, welcome back to the show. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you um, taking me back. Um, yeah, absolutely. So you were right in the middle it, telling us that you were at. Were you at the rally? You saw what was going on. No, I wasn't. But I'm. Well, we were going to go, and uh, between me and my wife, we decided it probably wouldn't be a good idea, and I'm really glad we didn't go. Um, I saw, you know, there was live footage from all the TV cameras around here. There were these um, young Latinos running up, grabbing hats off people's faces, off their heads, punching them in the face, and burning the things in the street. And a woman got cornered, and she got eggs. She got hit in the head with a bottle. She had to go oh back inside gosh. because she couldn't see. Um, I saw a, another video of a 65-year-old man just walking, and one of them came up and hit him in the side of the head while waving a Mexican flag. You know, I'm not, I don't have anything against <clears throat> um, legal immigration at all. And I don't think anybody in America does because that's what America was founded on. That's right. And... And then uh, another video was of this young guy who was probably 18, 19 years old, and somebody just came up and grabbed the back of his shirt, ripped his shirt off. He turned around and pushed the person away and started walking away, and then he got sucker punched, and they followed him to the car garage. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and I mean... They were trying to flip over a car with people inside the car, inside the garage. Now, I don't care if you like Trump, you don't like Trump, there's no business there's no reason for this kind of violence at this i should be able to feel safe taking my daughter to a political speech no matter who it is i mean if i want to go see hillary clinton i'll go see hillary clinton i would think i'd be safe enough i i, I couldn't agree with you more and i'm happy you're bringing this up because you know one of the things that happens in these rallies and these campaigns is you see all this rhetoric that's going around and people are throwing this stuff out and donald trump clearly has got his own rhetoric and but we're hoping that we live in a society that knows that words are words. And as soon as we move it from conversation, as as escalating as it can get, but conversation, campaign well, stuff, to physical violence, the danger that you're bringing up here, and I think it's a danger that people need to fully appreciate, because it's going to get uglier, because Donald Trump's going to win the Republican nomination, and he's not going to stop. He's not going to stop saying the things he's been saying that gets him here. And as soon as somebody crosses that line and starts with violence, what do you think happens on the other side? It's like when we were kids. You know, we kids. Thing about that is, if if um, they say that you're out for free speech, they're you know doing the free speech. But once your free speech turns into violence and affects my rights, then you're in the wrong. In the in the uh, mayor of San Jose came out and said that this was Trump's fault. It's all Trump's fault. It's always Trump's fault. The ones that were the ones that were burning the flags, ripping the flags up, tearing people's shirts, taking fly or hats off their heads, burning them in the street, which I thought was against law to, you know, assault and steal and everything like that. And then I find out on another one from a friend of mine in San Jose that the mayor had told the police to stand down because the mayor of San Jose is an ardent Hillary supporter. Hmm. They were told to stand down. 
Interesting. Well, Ed, you're bringing up a great point, and I, I appreciate the call, and I appreciate you, you, you bringing it to my attention right now because it's definitely worth the, the discussion on it, and you're absolutely right. And now, if you're listening to the show, if you've heard me before, you know that I am not a great – I'm not a Trump supporter in any which way. Um, I'm scared for his presidency, to tell you the total truth. But Ed's point in California is a point that we need to really digest and take seriously, that as soon as you get people blocking rallies, doing things like – pulling hats off people's heads and punching them in the face, there's, there is a escalation of violence. And the last thing we want in this country is violence to now accompany people's speech, even if the speech is fairly high. And I got to I, I tell you, I, am, I, 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 I coil from hate speech. It, it, it bothers me to my core. And there is sometimes where people are saying things that are just worth having them not say, but it's never Never okay with the violence. I got to tell you, a while I don't know long ago, it was just recently. Barack Obama was speaking at Rutgers University for their commencement address, and there's very little that Barack Obama says that I agree with. I mean, very little. But he said something, and I remember seeing the clip and saying, "You know what? I agree with him." Which it feels good to agree with your president every once in a while. You know, he said that years ago when Susan Rice was supposed to come and speak, the Rutgers student body protested so much that they basically canceled her commencement address and he got up there and basically told the students that they did the wrong thing that when you when you quash when you squash free speech when you squash opinions you are limiting our ability to have a healthy democracy and to tell you the truth now that we're praising democrats um al gore to his credit i remember really following that al gore george bush saga in florida with the votes and to his credit i thought that one of the things he kept on saying along the way was to make sure that the country doesn't lose over this, to make sure that all that potential unrest that was happening with the, with the, the counting, the recount in Florida, never turned to violence. And when you interviewed Al Gore after the whole thing, he clearly was very upset. But I remember him saying that he was so proud of the country that here you have – this isn't just rhetoric in a campaign, right? This is like how you count votes that's going to determine – literally determine, not like – figuratively, not like theoretically, like a Trump rally. I'm talking about like literally whether he'll become president or not. And that will be a defining difference in the direction of the country if you're a Democrat or Republican. It never escalated to real violence. It never got out of hand. And that's the type of stuff that makes us us. Right? You ever see these videos of like these parliaments that like don't like what someone says and they, they beat each other up? You ever see these like stuff where you're like, what are they doing? You ever like watch these like parliaments like throwing shoes at each other and like, you know, and they're all like beating each other up and, and you're like, are they insane? Like, is this what goes on in the government buildings of other countries? And like, you ever had that moment where you're like, thank God that like in America, it doesn't happen here because we respect each other a little bit enough. And I don't think anybody in the world should stand, and whether it's Trump or Hillary or Bernie or whoever is running for president and saying things that are offending people, the way you get back at them is you organize voters, you get the vote out, you get your opinion heard, and you allow yourself to be part of the process as as opposed to being part. And it's so dumb because people will just see you and recognize that there's a problem here and only then get moved closer to the person who is opposing you. And I think that Ed Ed made a great point here, and it's something that I think all of us really take seriously in terms of what we're seeing happen in this country. And maybe it is something that we're going to be dealing with a lot more. Like Jake said, maybe 
these next few months, we got to brace ourselves because, like I said, this is it. This is like the final weekend for Bernie Sanders. After this weekend, it'll be over, and you're going to have like, <laughs> like, um, this is this is a reality show. I don't know. I think it is. You're going to have Hillary and Donald Trump, and it's going to be rhetoric after rhetoric after rhetoric going all the way through. But one of the things that I think is really going to dog Donald Trump, and I want to spend a couple minutes on this because this is a story that came out recently, and we're seeing a little bit of the rhetoric on it right now because of what Donald Trump is doing with the judge who has. And the reason why he's so upset is because what the judge in the Trump University case has done, which has not been done until now, is release the documents of Trump University. Now, until now, there's a class action suit on the books for a while on Trump University. This isn't a new thing. And so the reason why Trump was so upset wasn't that he was being sued. Trump could have settled this a long time ago, and he's probably upset that he hasn't. The reason why he is so upset was because last week, the judge in the case actually gave the ability to release the playbook, the Trump University playbook. Now, when you read the playbook, it it is just shocking. This is the playbook for how they got people to buy in, to join, to enroll in their university. And it is in this playbook that I think it's already all over the internet. It's already all over the news blogs. And they are literally parsing through piece by piece. And when I read this playbook, I've been, just so you know, I'm like a self-help junkie. You know what I'm saying? Like I've been like my whole life reading everything you got it, you know, Covey, Robbins, you name them, I'm reading them and I'm getting their books and I'm listening to their stuff. And I have spent some real time in this zone. I've gone to seminars I've spent time on when you go to some of these sort of like courses and classes and what that does to you and how they get you. And until this moment, it was like a mystery, right? And Trump got out and basically said, hey, I got a university. Everyone has a university and people are coming on and some make it and some don't. And like they're sort of shrugging their shoulders saying, I don't know, it just feels a little shady, but like it is what it is. But in the release of these playbook of their tactics that we're going to talk when we come back from the break. When, when you're going to see some of the things that are going on here, it's going to be really hard to not have your skin crawl. In fact, this was really as fraudulent as you can get. And it's going to really show, I think, some of the way Donald Trump does business. This is all coming up. Uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to be talking about exactly the playbook. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show. This is Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey, everybody! Welcome back to the show. Charlie Harari here for Buck. Honored to be with you. Honored to be able to speak to Team Buck. Love you guys. Love the tweets that are coming in. Love the calls that we've gotten so far. Thanks so much. You guys added so much to the show. Speaking about Donald Trump and Trump University, this is going to get worse. There is no question. They're just beginning the Trump University scandal that is about to hit and has already hit, and the, that's why he's so upset at this judge. Because over the last week, the judge released 400 pages of what they call the Trump University playbook. And you got to get this is I mean, I like I said, I'm a self-help junkie. Right. And I buy all this stuff. And I'll never forget. 
I was when I was even I was an, I was an attorney and I saw an ad in a paper for like make money speaking for a living like you know live your dream and I'm like wow this sounds perfect and I'll never forget I went down to a hotel right across street from Penn Station here in New York and I went to one of the rooms and must have been a hundred people in the room there's a guy in front and the the cell was. You can be a public speaker, which I like speaking, and you can become wealthy, which I like money. Like, you know, but why wouldn't I try it? Like, so I'm sitting there and the guy's talking. I'm like, but he's not saying anything. And he's just talking about how great his life is and how he flies around the world and he's so wealthy and rich. And I'm like, all right, come on, go on, get to the stuff about me. And then like after an hour, he basically says, if you really want to know how to do this, what you got to do is sign up for the course that I'm giving over the weekend that's going to be $1,000 and that's when I'm really going to train you. So I was with two of my buddies and I'm going... What? Like, I came out here. I wasted like three hours of my day. I'm finally, I got here. I'm listening to the guy speak for a thousand dollars. I'm like, I don't know. That sounds worse. So one of my friends is like, just come on. Let's just do it. It's a thousand bucks. Can you imagine you're going to become rich one day? Like, and you're going to run around. You're going to live this exotic lifestyle. You'll, you get paid that, you know, thousand dollars to speak. You're flown around. I'm like, I don't know, guys. So one of my friends is like, I'm doing it. And he joins the thing. I see him over the weekend and he tells me the following story. He's like, basically, I got there, a couple of interesting ideas, some good tips here and there. And the whole time they're pitching me on getting this program where we, it's like a week long out of town for like 10 grand. And I'm like, you got to get out now. And I'm watching my friend who is an articulate, educated guy, just like get sucked into this world. He has been with this program for like years. Literally, it was like a two-year stint, just shelling out money. He's not a speaker. He's just shelling out more, more books, more playbooks, more, more, more uh, workbooks, more seminars, more DVDs to buy. This type of stuff, by the way, is un- an under underbelly, an undercurrent of society that is sucking away money from people out there that are trying to get ahead that are trying to make it work. They're trying to get their lives in order. They're trying to get ahead. And they get sucked into these schemes with these promises of grandeur. And every promise comes with a price tag. right? Trump University, if we can get it down. And I really want to talk about this a little bit. So we're going to go to the break. And when we come back, we're going to, I'm going to give some of these tactics that came out here. Trump University basically was that. It, it literally was the same thing. Just the, He comes out and says, I'm going to make you rich. Right? And it's a free seminar. So everyone's like, yeah, who wants to be rich? Everyone's like, all of us? I don't know. We wouldn't be here otherwise. And look at me. I'm Donald Trump. I'm going to teach you how to be rich without any having to spend any money. And, and, and I, look how rich I am. And they're going, well, by the way, that's what people say about him as a president. Right? I sat at the table with someone this weekend. And I'm like, what do you think of him as a president? He goes, well, he's rich. He must know what he's talking about. Right? The whole he's rich, he must know, is the, is, it is the most illogical way of thinking. Because someone happens to be rich, it doesn't mean they know a lot. Especially Donald Trump, which inherited a lot of money. By the way, people that are there are the people out there, not everybody. There are people that have a lot of money that stole a lot of it also. It doesn't mean they know stuff too. So he gets you in, and then he tells you if you really want to learn how to make money in real estate, it's a three day seminar for fifteen hundred dollars. So these people, see so he gets a hundred people in the room, and then people come in fifteen hundred fifteen hundred dollar seminar, and then he gets them in that seminar, and then you know what he says to them? If you really want to be rich, it's a thirty five thousand dollar course. To join Trump University. And he would get people to sign up for a $35,000 course on the promise that when they're done, they're going to be rich. Now, some of these people, the docs are showing, put all that money on debt. They didn't have the money. That's why they're in the room, right? He's not getting the Harvard graduates. He's not getting the guys coming out of the best real estate companies. He's getting people that are looking for a leg up. So he's talking about people that, as it is, are having a hard time paying their bills, as it is maybe struggling with debt, and in order to make these sales, 
they published a 400-page playbook for the sales guys. And in there, they gave them the tactics as to how to sell. You're going to just I'm going to go through a few of these when we get back. It's going to make your skin crawl. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show. This is Charlie Harari filling in for Buck on the Blaze Radio Network. We'll be right back. Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome back to the show, Charlie Harari here for Buck Sexton. Want to give a shout out to Jessica Hobbs. What a great tweet she gave me over the break, basically saying that when Mitt Romney was running, being rich and being successful was a problem, and now it's like whatever he can do, Trump, because he's rich, it's all that he must be brilliant. Like she said, it is hypocrisy at its finest. But how did he become rich? So I'm not going to say how Trump made all of his money. I don't really know. Um, But I want to talk to you about the playbook. This is it. This is the playbook. So the judge releases 400 pages of the Trump University playbooks, and here's what happens basically they hire these sales guys and they give them a playbook on how to hard sell people to enroll in 35 plus 36 and at 36 37 thousand dollars of stuff that'll never actually help you these are people that don't even have real estate experience in fact many of his instructors didn't have any real estate experience he got them from other sales programs so here's what they would do first These guys got a personal message from Donald Trump that he wrote, basically saying that only doers get rich. I know that in these three packed days, you'll learn everything to make a million dollars within 12 months, right? So here's what the document says. If you think they can afford a gold elite, don't let them do anything but gold elite. And now if they hesitate, this is, I'm quoting from the book, right? This is actually lifted from the playbook. It says, as soon as they hesitate as the mentor, you've got to push them out of your out of their comfort zone. You've got to tell them to be honest with themselves, to fix their lives, to fix their plan, that your plan is broken and we will fix it. You've got to, and you got to push them until they get it. They were told the staff to persuade students to put the cost of the course on their credit cards, even if it just ba- if they just paid off their debts, and if they're living paycheck to paycheck, you know what they were told to do? This is like literally like if then, if then. So if they said we can't, I'm, imagine sitting there and someone says, "I'd love to join your course for thirty five grand, but I'm leave I'm living paycheck to paycheck, right? I don't have enough money to pay for my life unless I get another paycheck." This is what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to say. Do you enjoy seeing everyone else but yourself in their dream houses and driving their dream cars with huge checking accounts? Those people saw an opportunity and didn't make excuses like what you're doing now. Can you believe this? This is actually true. And then this gets better. During lunch breaks in the sign-up seminars, those free stuff that I told you about, you're supposed to plant seeds. Google this. and just This is incredible. And you're supposed to plant the seeds in the student's mind how their lives won't improve unless they join the program. 
They're supposed to ask personal questions to discover weaknesses that can be exploited later to seal the deal. And then here's the last one. That I have a million of these, but I'm only going to do one more. You're supposed to collect personalized information that you can utilize during closing time. So, for example, if they're a single parent of three or if they're a middle-aged commuter that's tired of traveling, you've got to use what they need to get them to close. This is actually how Trump University made its money. It is a complete scam. But here's the best part. There's a guy named Schnackenberg. Schnackenberg was one of their sales guys, and he quit. Why? So listen to his story. He had a sales pitch with this couple, and the man was on disability, right? And he goes to pitch them on buying into the $35,000 elite program. And they started telling him that they're thinking of doing it, but he would have to use all of his disability money to do it. And his wife would have to then go into credit card debt to get a 30, enough money for them to get into this program, okay? So Schnackenberg looks and goes, I don't think this is right for you. Like, this is, I mean, to use all your disability money and then to use your credit card debt, that's too much. He goes back and his boss says, did you get the, the deal? He goes, no. And he told him the story. Next thing that happened, he was reprimanded, pulled off the couple, given to another salesperson who walked in and convinced them to buy the 35000 program and, so, and, and seal the deal, which he was congratulated for. All right? This is just a little bit of the stories that we're getting. Now, I got to tell you, I know people that are, I know people that have gone through these seminars, taken on debt, learned nothing, or whatever they learned they could have gotten from the library, or just in today's day and age, you can just Google it, and or open source courses that are given from some of the greatest universities in the world, and the, there are hundreds, in this case, thousands around the country that are falling for these schemes every single day. The difference is that the people that are running these schemes are not running for president of the United States. So it becomes a little difficult for us to be able to say, hey, wait a second, he's rich, so he must know. If you're rich because you swindle people, then you, you don't get to get the credit of pretending like you know something. This, I think, will become probably not for Donald because most people don't care. He can do anything. At this point, Donald could do whatever he wants. He could, like he said, shoot somebody on the street and be like, well, well, he was justified. Donald Trump is the only guy that I think we've ever seen in the political arena ever that it can basically do whatever in the world he wants and get away with it. But if you just take a minute and think about the people that are the victims of this stuff, and these are real people because I was in that room. I saw them, right? I, I was, I was in the room I have a family member. I do have a family member who is a middle-aged guy who's struggling for so many years to make it work. And he got hooked into one of these seminars. And it, it, it sucked the life out of him. Because he thought that this is the seminar that was going to finally give him the chance that he always wanted. But it's that same mentality that is driving the Bernie Sanders way of thinking. It's that same mentality of... There's a free ride. There's a free ride for me. I just don't know it, right? We all think there's like a free ride that we just don't know about. And some people do. And it's unfair. Yes, there is privilege. There is. And there are people that get a leg up of others. That is part and parcel of the world. There is. There are, I, there are people that come from money and they have a chance to fail and start things that other people can't. There are people that have different privileges because of their religion or their race or their environment and they have a chance that may not be afforded to somebody else. They're, that's part of life. 
But there's nothing that's free. And we live in a world where we think that somebody is going to give us the secret in 10 minutes or less. As soon as we think that, we've already lost. Because true greatness, if you look at anybody that has built anything over any period of time, real greatness is long, slow, and steady. That's how it works. Real happiness is long, slow, and steady. Real success, you want to be a good dad or a good mom or a good brother or a good sister. You want to make, you want to create wealth for your family. You want to make a difference. You want to, you want to do things in life that matter. You got to be willing to go through the habits that great people have. And a Trump university is the epitome of this swindling mentality of don't work hard. Just give me money. And I'm going to teach you how to get the secrets of something. And the fact that Donald Trump, the presidential nominee, was running this racket, I don't know if it'll matter. I got to tell you, I thought it would. But I also thought he'd get knocked out when he said McCain. What do I know? I thought he would have gotten knocked out when he said the thing. I, I thought every week I think he says something that like I'm like, this is it. It may never actually come to hurt him. But I think that each and every one of us needs to at least sort of put a pin in the bubble of, oh, he's rich, so he must know. A lot of people out there making a whole bunch of money because they're able to prey off the insecurities of others. And I think Trump University is one example. Then we come back, we're going to be talking about a story that I really spent a week grappling with, the story of the three-year-old boy and the gorilla. And what that story actually says about faith in the United States of America today. This is all coming up as soon as you come back. Stick with us. This is Charlie Harari filling in for Buck Sexton on the Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Charlie Harari here, filling in for Buck. Doing a lot of talking about Trump and Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton and what to expect. And the election season is just continuing to dominate our news cycles. You know, a couple of days ago, I was sitting with a friend of mine from Canada. And he was explaining to me that in Canada, apparently, like, the whole election season is like a month. It's like, you know, it's like one month, like, they, they pick a new guy. And then, like, it's like the guy who loses, like, just picks up his laptop. And he's like, all right, see you guys later. And they're like, bye. And, like, he's like, how do you guys have the stamina? I'm like, we can we can talk about people forever. We've, we can do an election season for four straight. In fact, that's what we do. We go from, like, president to the Congress to president. And this election season is just continuously, continuously giving us things to talk about as we get into the conventions. Spoke just in the past segment about Donald Trump and Trump University, which is just a complete embarrassment, an eyesore on the business community. And anybody who thinks that's what business is is totally missing it. Business is about delivering value to people at a price point that they want to pay for and that you can actually make money on. You deliver value, that's what the business world is all about. It's not about 
finding people and then convincing them to buy something they don't need and promising things you can't deliver. And that, unfortunately, is what I think Trump University has done. And it's going to play out over the next few weeks, and we'll see how that is. But take a look at that playbook, and it'll really show you some things that, you know, just it gives you the underbelly of, of, a, of a large, large segment of our pop of our of our not of the economy but definitely of one segment of the economy but i want to transition a little bit right now and talk about a story that i've been thinking about a lot and why it's been bothering me so much so everyone i'm sure has heard the story about the gorilla harambe right am i saying that right harambe so last saturday um in cincinnati zoo three-year-old kid you know leaves his mom and then goes into this enclosure where the gorillas are hanging out and he falls about you know, 10, 15 feet into a moat. And this 450-pound gorilla named Harambe picks him up and starts dragging him around for about 10 minutes. Now, that is an enormous amount of time for a three-year-old kid to be being dragged around by a 450-pound gorilla. All right, so I have children. And I can't even imagine. I, 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 I golf, but I can't even imagine such a thing. Like I can imagine. I know that everyone's railing on those parents, and I don't know what'll happen. So maybe the parents are negligent, and you know, yeah, I, I taken my kids to the zoo. Thank God none of them have fallen. But I got to tell you, there are times where I don't even like three year old boys have have a tendency of doing of of doing things that their parents tell them not to do. I don't think this is the first. And in fact, I mean. In the mind of a three-year-old, that gorilla is probably like the best thing in the world, right? The guy's probably read like a hundred books from mom about how gorillas like have hearts and they hug and kiss and they snuggle in bed. So that guy's, that little kid's thinking, gorilla, this is amazing. I'm going to like, you know, sit on his lap. He's going to read me a book. We're going to have some honey. Like, so to a three-year-old, like gorillas are like, you know, more fun than dad. So like I can see the three-year-old jumping into the thing. But so the Cincinnati Zoo says, okay, if we... If we drug the gorilla, if we if we sort of tranquilize him, he's going to get agitated. He's got a kid in his hands. He's going to really hurt the kid. So they shoot shoot and kill him. And he was an endangered species, and everybody loved him, and he was a great gorilla, and everything was great, and it was a really big deal. And I remember hearing the story last Sunday or whatever, and thinking to myself, my first thought was, thank God that kid's okay. Like, right? Like, it's a three-year-old kid. I'm sure mom could have been better watching it, but still, come on. If you ever raised a three-year-old, you got to give mom a drop a drop of the benefit of the doubt, right? And she's she took him to the zoo. It's not like he, they found the kid in the crack house, right? So, like, you know, whatever. People are, are upset at mom. Maybe if mom fell in, it would have been a little easier for people to deal with. But, but okay, fine. Let's let's leave mom out for a second. So my first reaction is, all right, thank God for th- they got the kid. And then I started seeing this r- reaction from the, from the Internet about all these people that were mad at the zoo for killing the gorilla for picking the gorilla, so to speak, over the kid. When it was really the human's fault, if you will, why would the gorilla be punished for the fault of the human? That wasn't the three-year-old's fault, that's for sure. It could be mom's fault, but it wasn't the three-year-old's fault, right? Three-year-old wasn't supposed to... It's not like the three-year-old has you know, more of a higher standard of don't hang out with the gorilla than the gorilla does with the kid. And I was kind of like shocked that the reaction from people wasn't just, wow, this is unfortunate, Thank God the kid's okay. And there's a reason for it, I think. And I think there's an underlying reason. And I really believe this is the reason why people reacted the way they did to the gorilla. And just to give you like a full sense about me personally, I'm a real softie. Like a real softie when it comes to some things. When it comes to like cruelty, I don't know. I got a soft piece in my heart. Like, you know, I don't eat certain animals because I found out the way they, they you know, they, they how cruel they are. Like, I'm, I'm a softie when it comes to these things. We don't kill bugs in our house unless we have to. 
So I'm not one of these, like, whatever type guys. But still, it's a three-year-old kid. Like, I don't see the, I, I, I don't get the distinction. And, and I, don't, I don't get the, the controversy. And it, it dawned on me why this was. And I think this is a bigger issue, which is why I'm bringing it up. It's not just about a gorilla and a kid. You know, I'm a man, I'm, I happen to be a man of faith. I believe very strongly that God created the world and he, he's inside each and every one of us. Um, I'm a little cynical by nature, right? That's how I ended up being a lawyer. And so I didn't just take this at face value. I didn't like go up through religious school and be like, whatever. I really looked into it and I believe really strongly that this, this world didn't just come out of nowhere. Um, and there is a divine power in this world. And years ago, I remember being at a seminar with a, a you know, a, a speaker and he was talking about faith in, in the Western world. And he was saying, and he was going through different sort of periods of time, he was saying that as faith starts to wane in a society, the value of humans start to wane. Meaning, if you go through history and you look at, let's say, like Judeo-Christian principles, you'll find that where there is, now there definitely is a way to take religion and turn it into war, that's for sure. But on the flip side, a place of faith sees that the individual as a member, so to speak, as, a, as born in the divine image, that a human being is qualitatively different than an animal because the human being has a piece of the divine in them. And so that's what gives them these inalienable rights to life, to liberty. These rights that are given to humans aren't just given arbitrarily, right? They're given because there's something divine about each and every one of us. That's the, the core of the major religions in the world. Of course, people can take it too far. And if you go through society, you'll find that in societies where God was less, the value of the human being, the value of that life sort of followed along with it. And I sort of didn't believe it. Right? Like I sort of like, okay, it makes sense. If you go through, yeah, truth is justice and equality and all that stuff. But, you know, it's not so perfect. And there's a lot of challenges with people and institutions and religious institutions. And stuff isn't so simple. But I think... The Cincinnati Zoo story really brings it home, I think. I think the story is, when you see a person, do you see somebody that was born in the divine image? Do you believe at your core that each and every one of us has a piece of us that is divine, that God created a world and he created us with a certain divinity to us? Now, if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that a human is anything more than just a sophisticated animal, then you can say things like this animal versus that animal, right? This animal dropped her kin into a playpen with that animal, and that animal was doing what that animal should be doing, right? Just acting the way they act. And as a result, why should we have punished animal A because of animal B? And that sort of like resonates, but when you realize that, I mean, the whole purpose is to recognize that there's something bigger in this world. There's something more to us than we're qualitatively different. You got to be kind. You got to be gentle. You can't be unnecessarily cruel. But is the human just a sophisticated animal? And that, I think, is a question of faith and with real ramifications, this is, I think this is happening today in America. I think we are finding a real battle against faith today that we're not really paying attention to. Or maybe we are, but 
we're really battling with, because God's complicated and understanding him is complicated and where he comes into my life is complicated and it's hard. And why would I do something hard when I get something easy? But when we, if we don't fight this battle now, I think it'll play into how we treat each other individually. Well, that's what I think really, really stuck with me. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the NBA finals and what Steph Curry has to do with your life. This is all coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This is Charlie Ride filling in for Buck on the Blaze Radio Network. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome back to the show. Charlie Harry here filling in for Buck. What an honor to be with you today. Thank you, Team Buck, for all your incredible tweets and responses and calls. Speaking about the gorilla and the child and what that means for faith. Speaking about Donald Trump and the easy way out. That is something that I think I got a tweet on about a couple minutes ago. This desire for the easy way out and the desire for success. So how do we find success if we can't take the easy way out, I mean, Bernie will tell you, just get it for free and let the rich guys pay for it. How does you even have rich guys if you're going to tax them to death? Hey, don't worry about that. Bernie will just give it to you for free. How do you become successful? So Donald would say, just give it to me and I'll tell you over, you know, give me 35 grand. I'll tell you over a couple of months and we'll make it work. But really, how does it work? And of course, I'm not going to end the show without even taking a stab at how does, how do we become successful? That's what the show is all about, right? It's all about trying to become better every day. Because that's the goal of life is to be better every day. And so we began the show a little bit with this idea of owning up to our mistakes. Really important. The idea of when you mess up to own up to it, whether it's something that you did or something that people that are before you that did, the ability to own up to – we don't appreciate the power of saying sorry. Sorry is one of the most important words that we have in our dictionary. And just the word sorry – makes you vulnerable and makes the other person immediately want to reconnect with you. It's amazing what the word sorry does. And if Hillary just knew that word, she'd be the president. I mean, Donald Trump, no one expects to know that word, but that's a different story. But if Hillary Clinton would just get up and say, I'm just sorry, like I'm sorry. Imagine Hillary did that. Imagine like Hillary just held a press conference and just said, guys, holy cow, we were playing a couple of games in there and like, okay, we got a little greedy and I'm just. I realize that the nation's in a, in, in, a, in a real crossroads, and I'm just really sorry. It would be. She'd become the president of the United States. I mean, she may be anyways, but it's unbelievable that word. And and we should use it in our lives. And when you think about where success comes from, and this sort of this desire of wanting everything to be cheap and free and overnight, and this sort of like we all sort of like think like there's something out there like a free ride or an easy lunch or. Um, or maybe it's an easy ride and a free lunch. That's probably a little more accurate in my expressions. And this whole Trump University world, it pays to look around at some of the, I think, the role models out there. And there is no better role model. I mean, I shouldn't say there's no better role model. But one of my role models is a man who plays basketball. Now, I love basketball. I grew up thinking that um, I may be a basketball player, but it didn't really work out for me. But um, I did play high school basketball. But to me, I think sports, the reason why people love sports so much is not just that it's fun. I think the reason why, a lot of things that are fun. 
I think the reason why people love sports so much is because it is a microcosm of life. There are lessons that take place in sports in such clarity that we can sort of identify with, right? Hard work and, and trying to be great and all these stuff, all the things that we deep down want inside each and every one of us, we get to live through someone who plays, if you really think about it, a pretty dumb game. Like, and I'm a huge basketball fan, but like, if we could just be straight for a minute, like it's a randomly created game that just has a set of rules that we all agree it is. And, and it's just, we just, the game is largely irrelevant, right? It's not the game. It's, it's the challenge, it's the competition, it's the hopes, the dreams, the hard work. It's all that surround the game. And for anyone who is a sports fan, you know that right now we're in the finals, and the finals are being run and led by two individuals. One who is probably the closest thing we had to like a God-created basketball creature, LeBron James. LeBron James was built to be a basketball player. You know, he's, he's like, you know, 6'8", 250, unstoppable. He's a machine. He's an absolute muscle machine who can pretty much do anything on the court. He he can think like a passer. He can shoot. He can dunk. He can score. And the idea of the natural talent of LeBron James is just incredible. But across the way, like on the other team, is a guy named Steph Curry. And Steph Curry actually has a very different background than LeBron James. LeBron James, as a kid, was known to be... I mean, everybody knew he would be a superstar. When he was in high school, ESPN was covering his games more than they were covering NBA teams, right? When, you know, uh, NBA legends would come watch him play in high school, and he would go up to them and shake their hand, and they would first go to him and shake his hand, right? He was known as King James, and literally almost from birth... He was given the title, the natural athlete that he was, and everywhere he went, it became like a sensational show. He skipped high school to go to the NBA, and he's basically been to the NBA so many times. He goes to the NBA the way we go to the dentist. Like he's just he goes to the finals the way we go to the it's like unbelievable. Always back, always back, always back. And across the way is another guy. And the other guy is Stephon Curry. Now, Steph Curry has a very different background, and I'm telling you this for a reason. Because in life, you can learn things from everybody. And just for a minute on Friday afternoon at 2.30, to take a second and see the finals for more than just a game, but for the person I was behind, it can lead us, leave us with something that may inspire us for the weekend. Steph Curry had almost the exact opposite upbringing than a LeBron James. Now, of course, he was in the class of being, you know, an athlete. He didn't come out of nowhere, right? But his dad was an NBA player, but he really didn't have the stuff. When he was in high school, they told him that he wasn't big enough to become an NBA player. In fact, they told him that he could. They, no one would pick him up because he was so little. He had to shoot from his his his, his chest, which anyone who follows sports knows that's a complete no-no. You have to shoot over your head, also get blocked. He was told time and time again to give up this dream of being an NBA player because he was too short. He was too thin, he was too lanky, he wasn't big enough and strong enough, and it was cute that little Steph Curry wanted to be a ball player, but please, stop. Nobody picked him up for college. Nobody watched his high school games. In fact, no even colleges watched his high school games. No one picked him up. He ended up in a small college called Davidson with no fanfare. Even when he got drafted by the Warriors, it wasn't the, the Messiah comes home. He was a complete and utter no-name. And this year... Steph Curry goes up against LeBron James. 
Steph Curry wins the MVP two years in a row and for the first time in decades wins it by unanimous vote. And the question that we all have is how? In a world where we think that some have privilege and that's why they win. In a world where we think that there are those few people that have something different than the rest of us. The LeBron Jameses of the world. In the world where all of us see other people and ask ourselves, how come they are more successful than I? We tell ourselves that it's because they have more natural ability than I. But Steph Curry shows up and says, wait a second, maybe that's not true. How did Steph Curry become so successful? So I found the clip from a college coach that actually was with him when he was a college player. Kobe Bryant had a skills camp where he invited shooters from college and high school. And this coach was there. And later on, to a group of people, he told the group why Steph Curry was so impressive. Listen to this. He was going to be a future NBA superstar. And here's how I knew that. It was all because of his work habits. Now, those skills academies, we would have two workouts a day for three straight days. 30 minutes before every single workout, most players were still in their flip-flops and had on their headphones. And Stephen Curry had already started doing some form shooting. He had already started taking game shots, game spots, and games. By the time the workout officially started, he had probably already made 100, 150 shots and was in a full sweat. When the workout actually started, he was meticulous with everything that he did. He made sure that he had perfect footwork. He made sure that he had perfect shooting form. If he did anything and it wasn't perfect, he did it over again. And he didn't need a coach to tell him, he just did it. And the moral of that story is that success is not an accident. Success is actually a choice. And Stephen Curry is one of the best shooters on the planet today because he has made the choice to create great habits. And my question to you is, are the habits that you have today on par with the dreams that you have for tomorrow? That's it. That was it. It was a little... <laughs> the music was building on that one. Sorry that you heard my voice from that music. I should have music behind my voice as I speak, but that didn't work itself out. That's it. Right? The reason why he became so good, and, and the reason why this is so important for, you know, it's not... It's not directly politics or national security or something else, but the lessons of it is, I think, so incredibly important that the reason why Steph Curry became Steph Curry is because for years, without anybody knowing it, he decided he was going to be successful. He was the first guy there. He was the last guy to leave. And when he did something, he was meticulous to make sure that he did it perfectly and he did it again and again and again until he got it right. Like the, the coach said... The habits today are going to dictate the, the, your future tomorrow. You see, we think that success comes to us when we do something specific. But that's not how it works. That's why we're in debt. That's why we're in so much debt for. Because we think there's like a fix. There's a school or a thing or something I can do that's just going to get me somewhere. It's not. When we want to be successful at things that we do in life, it is the habits that we create. The habits that we create every single day will dictate the future that you have because what ends up happening in true success is that you change, right? You don't get something. You become something. When you see somebody, the reason why studying the character of a president is so important isn't because it's just fodder for talk. 
The reason why Trump University is important isn't because people can't go to the university. They, people have free choice. They can go to the university if they want. Why are we talking about it for? Because when you study someone's habits today, you know where they're going to be tomorrow. When you study the character of somebody today, you know what's going to happen later down down the road. If Hillary can't say I'm sorry today, what do you think is going to happen in t- eight years from now? If Donald Trump is making money on, on preying on people today, why, don't, why do you think that's what he did to, to, to get elected? Right? It's the same tactic. And what do you think is going to happen in 10 years from now? If people borrow before they earn today, if government continues to grow and not deliver today, what's going to happen tomorrow? The, the definition of insanity is doing something the same way and thinking you're going to get different results. When we come back, we're going to wrap up the show and talk about what we can do, each and every one of us, to become the person that we deep down know we can be. We'll wrap up the show. This is Charlie Ryder filling in for Buck on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome back to the show, Charlie. All right, filling in for Buck. Love being here. Great tweet from West Montgomery. You're absolutely right. There's some things that, even though she'll make become, I think she'll be president if she says I'm sorry. There are things you can never apologize for, like what she did in Benghazi. I agree with you, Wes. Good, good, good point and good comment. Um, and I just want to just sort of wrap up a little bit of the show we were saying before about these habits. And there, I think this is maybe the most important bit of advice that I got in my life, and I see it going on through Steph Curry, and I'm still going to argue every, every which way to Sunday that he is a story of inspiration to people that really want to become something in life, how to do it. You're not going to buy it. You're not going to get it quickly. What you're going to do, if you really want to make something, you want to be something, the way you become that is you identify what those people do. You get the habits of great people. What does the person that is a great fill-in-the-blank do? What does a great parent do? What does a great spouse do? What does a great uh, business person do? What does a great person of faith do? If you really want to be successful, you figure out what is the practice of great people, and then you habituate that practice into your life. How do those people eat? When do those people sleep? And it's a lot of different people, right? How do they love? How do they hate? Right? Do they do they they say things? They do things. How do they live their lives? And when you're able to integrate habits every day, all the time into your life, what happens is you don't get something, you become something. That's really what a life I think of true success is: is when you become something of value, when you up your habits every single day, so that you can do the things that great people do. And I think if we look at each and every one of our lives, we will find that lots of what we find fault in other people, whether they're presidential candidates or not, are things that we know are wrong. That's why we find fault in it. And we, we hold them to a higher standard, and they may let us down. And that's part of life. And by the way, there are a ton of athletes that let us down. There are a ton of everyone that lets us down. And I think if we just can keep it on a, on a, on a sort of arm's length and say they let us down, it, it, it ruins the point. I think the real point is that we're supposed to look at the world and see what's right and wrong and 
make some comments on it and talk between the two of us and, and have a, and speak about it a little bit. But at the end of the day, what makes us great is we, we truly want to make America great and just forget America. We want to make ourselves great is we look out in the world, we see what's going on. We look for the people that have done things that we're proud of and things that people that we're not. And we don't just stop at the complimenting, criticizing phase. We bring it in and we ask ourselves, honestly, where do I stand in this? Do I habituate myself to being great? Do I have a dream that I've given up on that I could really work on? Have I taken the easy way out? Do I owe somebody and I'm sorry? Have I myself taken on a little bit too much of this free stuff and I buy it a little bit too much and it's led me nowhere? How am I raising my kids? How am I talking to my friends? And I think if each and every one of us thought that way, each of us in our own way would become a little greater every day. And that's really how you make America great because Americans are great. We're an incredible country that has done so much for the world and will continue to do so. And we realize how great we each and every one of us can be. And we strive for that individually. It becomes collective. And that becomes the nation that continues to lead the world into the next century. It's been an honor to be with you. Buck is incredible and Team Buck is incredible. Thank you so much for giving me the time today. I can't wait to do it another time in the future. This is Charlie Harari filling in for Buck. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show. Have a great weekend, everybody. God bless. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.